What's going on, y'all? Welcome to another episode of the Ethan and Terry Show, a podcast dedicated to covering and tackling the latest in sports and entertainment. It's your boy Ethan, aka Easy Pull Up, here with Terry Jenkins Jr. for episode number 71. I want to take this time to shout out to all of our first time viewers and listeners, as well as our last time viewers and listeners. Be sure you like, comment, share, subscribe to the pod, leave us a rating and review, and let us know how we're doing. Uh, before we get into it, Terry, how are you, man? How's it going? Doing great, bro. Doing great. Um, just finished watching Luca drop 60 points, 21 rebounds, insane, and 10 assists. Insane, insane, bro. So, I mean, it's a wonderful time in the sports world, bro. The first player in NBA history to record a 60 point triple double. There's so much, there's so much to get into that alone, right? You, when you look at like the you know, top five players in the league this year, you know, Luca was certainly up there. And you're looking at what Giannis and the Bucks are, st- are doing, still consistent, consistent championship pedigree, but he's making his name, bro. <laughs> he's making his nah, name seriously. as arguably the best player on the planet, especially offensively speaking. But we can get into that uh, some other time. But, bro, tonight we're kicking it off, man, by getting into the NFL, bro. Another crazy weekend, one that left me just totally devastated in fantasy football but with with the with the but with the cold weather man that that plagued much of the United States over this past holiday weekend which by the way Terry uh, I guess you could say happy uh, belated merry christmas to you I don't even think I even got a chance to talk to you on on christmas um, um, yeah we didn't life man life is <laughs> life man but as a result man the sports world didn't disappoint um Terry when you look at just the playoff picture um you know it was like what two more weeks left in the regular season Two, two or three, weeks, yeah, yeah, two weeks. Two. I mean, the playoff picture is tight. I mean, the, uh, in the NFC, it's, it's looking very interesting, but in the AFC as well, bro, it is super tight, bro. Especially for your Patriots, just what are their chances now, man? Like lose, losing the Cincy over the weekend. I mean, it definitely puts them back a little bit, yeah. And of course, the Chargers, yeah, cl- the Chargers clinched on last night. Oh yeah, yeah, Chargers are in for sure. They clinched last night. Um, really good game by by Justin, man. Um, nice to see Keenan Allen back and healthy and that was huge you know he's finally 100 percent. he didn't play what the first like 10 games right eight games yeah then he returned for like a game and a half and left for like three more games so at one point i thought you know maybe this is the end of his career but he's returned and he looked just the way just as good as he did before he left um at first ethan i'm not gonna lie I thought our chances were zero. I thought we had no chance in hell. I really do thought it was over. But now, after finding out news about Tua, excuse me there, and his recent protocol for, you know, concussions, that gives me all the hope in the world. Because now we're going against a Miami team that's not going to be quarterbacked by Tua. Our defense is phenomenal. Um, you even saw that on last week, even though we gave up a lot of points early to the Bengals, we finished that game 22 to 18. Um, they scored, I want to say 17 points or 14 points in the first half. So we finished strong. Our offense is just, it is what it is. It's, it doesn't have an offensive coordinator. It's being ran by Matt Patricia, who's a defensive coordinator and Bill Belichick, who's also a defensive coordinator. And so right now they, they could just call me up. I can call plays for them. And I think we'll have better odds than what they're doing. It's just, it's, it's horrible, Ethan. But even with that being said, I believe in our defense. I truly believe we have a championship pedigree defense. And I feel like that's why we're going to make it into the playoffs without Tua 
slinging around to Tyreek and Jalen Waddle, I believe we have a chance to beat Miami. And then also, I think Miami will go on to lose to the Jets in the final week as well, who, and they literally have a top five defense in the league. So, and again, if two is not there or two is not 100%, um, that definitely can have an influence on them losing the game. So, um, if we lose to Buffalo after beating Miami, we'll still be able to um, roll into the playoffs. Maybe I'm just, you know, a delusional Patriots fan. I mean, if so, then it is what it is. Um, but I do still have hope for my team, Ethan. I can't give up hope until literally um, I look on the ESPN little ticket and it says, you know, eliminate it. Um, but until then, I got to have hope. It's it's a lot of good teams, so Ethan, I'm not going to lie. And even if we did somehow eke in, at least right now, currently, we'll be playing the Chiefs. So, yeah. You know, it's it's all about getting in, bro. That's yeah. <laughs> that, that, That's the goal. It's all about getting in. I mean, yeah, big big game this weekend, though, versus Miami. Obviously, they're going to be without two, as you said. And then the Dolphins actually have the Jets on January 8th, and y'all have the Bills. So, yeah, bro, it's it's going to come down to the final two weeks. Are, are we saying there's a chance? Yes, there's definitely a chance that y'all could possibly uh, find your way into the playoffs. But, you know, everything kind of concerning just a broader picture right in the AFC East – you know, Tua, this was like his like breakout year, supposedly. And and to to a certain extent it was, right? Yeah. Um, but that y'all's division, I don't think anybody saw the Bills recent performance um kind of being what it was, you know, because uh, you know, you know, my boy Josh Allen was the MVP favorite, but now it's like segueing over into, you know, that of like Jalen Hurts, Mahomes, of course, is up there. As it should. As yeah. it and, and as it should. And I guess kind of speaking of, like, quarterbacks, right? Notice I just said basically three quarterbacks. And those same three quarterbacks being talked about as, like, the greatest in their position right now usually means that they're probably up for MVP. <laughs> so so, yeah. so even coming off the top top of the dome with just that, that transition, Terry, when you look at that award, because you brought it to my attention by Justin Jefferson having an exceptional year. Knew he was having a great year, right? He's on one of my yeah. fantasy teams. Know he's having a fantastic year, but the fact that he's now on the cusp of, of, two, of a historical year, 2,000 receiving yards, bro, which is insane. Terry, like, is it time for the NFL to reconsider, you know, I guess the positioning, no pun intended, but the positioning, yeah. Right, that's associated with like the MVP awards. Is is, is this the award strictly for quarterbacks, or is this something for everybody? But the NFL is not acting like it's for everybody. Sorry about that. Sipping water here. Um, it's definitely right now viewed, and to me personally, it's a quarterback award. Like that, that's what it is. Um, I don't see anything less or anything more. You had players like Cooper Cup last year, um, or a year prior had a crazy historical year and somehow he still didn't win MVP a quarterback of course or you have someone like Michael Parsons who haven't who's having a year that he's having Dak's been now at least what four games four to six games this year mm-hmm. and while Dak was out the Cowboys honestly looked at their greatest at their peak when Dak was out, especially that defense that was led by Michael Parsons. And he's having an, an insanely incredible year. And his team is at the top of the NFC, just like Justin Jefferson, who's literally having a historical year. Justin Jefferson, Ethan, 
is 244 yards from 2,000 yards. He's going to be the first receiver in NFL history to record 2,000 yards. Now, of course, if you watch NFL and you watch in the previous years, you know that the NFL has had a recent change where they've extended um, the league by at least one week. So in the past, you know, it was 17 weeks. Now it's 18. Uh, but still with that being said, 2,000 yards receiving as a receiver is a huge accomplishment. He's going to be the first one to do it. Honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if he get 244 yards on this Sunday uh, when they play. But it's it's insane that he's not even in the conversation. Now, granted, Ethan, me and you both will agree about that. This there are some great quarterbacks in the league. Patrick Mahomes. I mean, and should we even talk about Patrick Mahomes? He's arguably the greatest quarterback, not just now, but some would say ever. And that's just based off of play, not accolades. I'm a huge Tom Brady fan, huge Patriot fan. Tom Brady is the GOAT, but the best quarterback that I've ever watched play NFL football is Patrick Mahomes. I, the things that he does, the miracles that he creates, the, the way he slings the ball, it's, just, it's, it's Patrick Mahomes. You have Josh Allen, who's, again, one of those guys that does certain things, and you're like, how the hell did he do that? Like, how did he just run and break a run for 45 yards rushing? Or how did he run to his right but throw across the field 45 yards on the dime to Dix? Like, how did he do that? I mean, he, and, I mean he's, 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 like, deceptively athletic, bro. Like, this is a, six, this is a six seven guy who could be a – uh, a small forward or a power forward coming off the bench in the NBA. Definitely but, power forward. He's but, about two eighty. Based on based on size alone, <laughs> and he's hurtling. Yeah. He's hurtling over uh, defensive backs like it's like it's nothing. No, seriously, and running through them. Yeah. And so uh, the talent level makes you, you know, kind of view it in a certain way because the the not even the talent level, the NFL. Viewership is up when what? When scores are high, when games are electrifying, when the scores are 35 to 42 or past one year when we had the Chiefs and the Rams play in the game. At the end of the game, I think it was like 56 to 52 or something like that. Mm -hmm. That was one of the most recorded viewership games in NFL history. Um, granted, both teams had an amazing record heading into the game, but the amount of points that were scored, the action, the touchdowns, the deep bums, the broken tackles, like that's what the NFL is about. We really don't want to watch a game like the New England Patriots and the Buffalo Bills had last year, you know, 6-3. to three. No one wants to watch that. Um, and so I, I, I can see how it's inclined towards the quarterback. That's why they get the big contracts. But as a receiver as well, we have to start throwing those guys in the conversation, in my opinion, because, as you see, if you have a big-time receiver, more than likely your quarterback numbers are going to look very well. Just ask David Carr when he got Devontae Adams and then also go yeah. back and ask him and Rodgers when he lost Devontae Adams. It, your, your numbers are going to look a lot different. Ask Tua when he got Tyreek Hill um, and Jalen Waddle was healthy for one full year. Yeah, makes You're a difference. You're gonna look better. Ask Josh Allen. Look at his numbers before he got digs there. Um, look, not even that. Look at Purdy right now. 
on the 49ers. <laughs> like, the talent around you matters. And so we can't just throw it all, always, even though those guys are spectacular. We can't always throw them in the MVP or just give it to them yeah. because they're quarterbacks. Well, we have to give the assessment between all the NFL players and do it equally by position. So you and I, I think it should be based on distance between how good you are versus the rest of those people at your position. In my opinion, I mean, I, I, and your value to your team. No, I, 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 I agree. You know, when you just look at the historical context and the historical nature of oh, microphone drop, the historical nature of the um, in the NFL, I guess, kind of concerning the quarterback position. Right. Most franchises, they just opted naturally to build their franchise around a quarterback. That was just yeah. kind of like the nature of the game. I mean, even if you want to take it a step further, bro, if you want to approach it from like. You know, I wouldn't want to say like the racial lens, but this is just more of a like socially conscious lens too, right? A lot of the quarterbacks historically in the past have been and or are currently white, right? Nowadays it's looking a lot different, which is great. You know, it's definitely a lot exactly. more not more athleticism at the position, a lot more speed at the position, but still the accuracy, throwing the the uh decision making, all that is is at an elite level. But most of the skilled players from back in the day, most of them were black right of course you had some running backs you know that you know probably made a pretty good case at getting like mvp over the years my mind's escaped me probably on which ones even even one but bro i mean quarterbacks have always been heralded as just like the position the guy the one in league history um but now because like the talent is certainly now spread across the league way way more like efficiently i mean even when you look back to like the old ravens team bro like they didn't, they didn't build that team around like trent dilfer they probably built that team around no. ray, around ray lewis no you know what i'm saying you know what i'm saying so like so there there are definitely exceptions to the rules bro and there definitely are like you know i guess moments to where we can like be like okay maybe it was a little different then but historically it's always been that way but now like i'm, I'm curious Terry. i do feel like now with the quarterback position i'm curious to know your thoughts about this the quarterback position now, bro, it's like we're kind of hitting another golden age of quarter, oh, yeah. of quarterback, right? I, I do I do feel like maybe from like 2010, maybe the six, maybe 08 to like 08 to 16 was probably dry, right? Because you kind of seen the same, you know, six, seven quarterbacks doing their thing. The Peyton Manning's, the Tom Brady's. But then when Mahomes comes into the league, Josh Allen comes into the league, Lamar Jackson comes into the league, Jalen Hurts. To uh, next year, there's there's an even deeper class of quarterbacks that could probably start like a Bryce Young if he goes to like you know the Texans they get the number one pick, like it could happen. But like Terry, like now with the quarterback position becoming like I guess a little bit more uh, dynamic, and but also with the talent being like spread across, I mean, is it is it fair that to your point, man? Like maybe. We do see some variety in like who wins it, just just off the just off of like the assessment of talent in the league. Like some of the shit you just won't be able to you just won't be able to deny. Oh yeah, I'm gonna be honest with you, Ethan, and you should know how I feel about this. Even with the influx of talent that's gonna come in the league next year and the years to come, um, the CJ Strouds, the quarterback out of Florida, he's really good. Um, and, and the year after that, you got our quarterback coming out of Alabama. Um, you, you got a kid who went with Lane Kiffin at USC. You have a lot of young talent coming in. You just talked about the young talent, Trevor Lawrence. 
um, it's, it's one that amazes me and definitely have the Jags in the playoffs right now, like I predicted. Um, Justin Herbert, of course. Um, you look across the league, there's a lot of good young talent. Lamar Jackson, who's LH, Jalen Hurts, who's in the MVP conversation. But regardless of those guys that I just named, I feel like Patrick Mahomes is going to be the front runner every single year, Ethan. I don't, I don't feel like that's going to change probably for the next, at least the next five years. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like Patrick Mahomes is that dominant. I, I, I truly do. I don't think now there may be years on some but, yeah. LeBron James NBA type that the award is given to someone else. When we all look at Pat numbers and be like, yeah, he probably should have won it. We, but again, I feel like it's, he's that dominant. I feel like we we definitely should see it now. Right now, they're they're number two in the AFC, and pretty sure they're probably going to finish number one because Buffalo's going to lose probably to Cincinnati. Um, but and I don't think KC's going to lose another game. On the way out there the last two weeks. So, yeah. It, again, with him losing Tyreek Hill and everyone posing the question of who he's going to throw to and who do he has, of course, he still, excuse me, have Travis Kelsey. But Ethan, the last two weeks, he's been throwing it to a running back and McKinnon out the backfield, who's been going crazy in fantasy, mind you. He's gotten 87 yards receiving and the week before, 121 yards receiving. And Patrick Mahomes just tossing to him out the backfield. Patrick Mahomes is that guy. He is. It's his league. I feel like when it comes to the MVP and and definitely winning a championship, you're going to have to go through it. I do feel like that uh, McKinnon is making Tony Pollard look like Ezekiel Elliott. Like the last, the the last three, the last three weeks. It's it's been, it's been exceptional. It's been crazy. Um, But, but no, just, but but you are right there. I mean, like the MVP award, you know, it is for is pretty much a quarterback award, you know. When you just look at, I guess like maybe the last fifteen. I wait. Well, I, I don't know who was the last running back. Well, the last person I was going to say that first. The last person actually, when you said it, I knew who it was. It's Ladainian Thompson. He was the last that's running back to year, win MVP. Yeah, that and that's because he had a year where he had by far more total touchdowns than anyone else, and I believe he had more total touchdowns than every quarterback in the league had actual passing touchdowns. And then he think he finished like 36 total touchdowns that year. It was insane. But, of course, that was LT. That was LaDainian Thomason for the Chargers with Phillip Rivers throwing him the, the you know, the ball. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that, that was the last non-quarterback to win the MVP. And that was 2006. Wow. Okay. So, yeah, like 16 years since uh... – since someone, since a non-quarterback has won has won that award, um, but I don't know. I mean, it's something to keep our eyes on. You know, the, the quarterback position is becoming more, more dynamic, but I think we are seeing just a, a better grade of athletes continuing to play. In general, yeah, just in general, continuing to show up at all the positions. I do feel like now we are hitting because usually with the with the golden age of quarterbacks comes some type of like golden golden age of like wide receivers as well, right? Because you gotta have somebody to throw it to. And you know the more that that they keep carrying the team. Let's be honest, Terry. If you take Justin Jefferson off the Vikings, bro, I can't say that they're any better than the 
I don't know, the Dolphins. Like, yeah. yeah so, so. But well, I would like to make this argument. I don't know if you watched it. Just a real quick interjection. Tyreek Hill was doing an interview with Shannon Sharp, and he said something that intrigued me. He said he doesn't have a top five receiver because he feels like it could be a legit argument that number one through 20 can all be top five because of system and because of quarterback. And to me, it's a legit argument because you look at Justin Jefferson is amazing and astounding. I'm not going to lie. What he's doing is exceptional. I'm not taking anything away from him. To me personally, I feel like he's one of the best wide receivers, if not the best in the game. But it's hard for me to say the best because I can only imagine what someone like Terry McLaurin would do in that same system if he's getting that many targets a game. Or Devontae Adams. Or Amon St. Brown, who's in Detroit. And or D- Tyreek Hill for and, that. And, and D-Hop. I was going to say that because the brother had one catch, four yards, with Trace McSorley. <laughs> oh, my heart. My heart, bro. That just... Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so it, it, it matters. D-Hop, D-Hop, last night, D-Hop had 1.4. Unbelievable. 1.4 in fantasy. Quarterback, it matters what system you're in. It matters. And so it, it can in top five can be argued as far as wide receiver. That's, it's a great conversation for another day. We definitely can expound upon. But even with that sense, it's so much, like you said, raw talent in the league. It's so many guys, especially at the skill positions that you look at, and you're just like – I don't remember it being that many wide receivers that were like that when I was growing up. Like, I, I don't, Ethan. Like, I don't. I remember we had a league of some, some top guys, but they weren't putting up numbers like that. Yeah. You know, uh, even you know, Isaac Brooks and Torrey Hall back in their glory days, like, not like TJ Huzmanzada. Isaac Bruce Heinz is cold. Lord, like, Isaac Bruce we were in a league yeah. where Steve Smith was that guy, but Steve Smith wasn't putting up a thousand yards receiving every year, Ethan. He wasn't, and that was no. one of my favorite receivers. No, I mean, we're in a league now. I, well, yeah, guys are just killing it, bro. A I mean, thousand yards is nothing. It, it's it's nothing. I mean, and there, there's so much to consider too, because I'm almost certain that back in early early 2000s, late 90s, mid 90s, even the 80s for sure. The run game was still. Like they weren't. The run game was still very much a critical component. That eye formation, power eye, all those setups. Like the fullback was still making moves. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like instead of like the slot receiver be- becoming kind of what the fullback used to be in terms of utilization. But yeah. But but nevertheless, you are right, bro. We we haven't seen anything like this before. But you know, there are a lot of great quarterbacks. There are a lot of great, it's a lot of great talent in the league, and we know that great talent is on the way. Speaking of talent, speaking of quarterbacks, at that, um, we can't we can't get off the uh, the NFL segment without talking about the Broncos firing their head coach, uh, Russell Wilson, definitely probably having his worst career this year. This is hard. So what? <laughs> this is hard, <laughs> dude. It's. It's it's like watching I wouldn't say fall from grace because I feel like that's a little too that's a little too extreme, especially for 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 a man as as uh as as, as forward facing, faithful, and, and God fearing as as Russ is. But at but bro, no, he's married to Sierra. He's married to Sierra, of course. Can't forget about Let's it. Let's just take a moment. Matter of fact, can can you do a round of applause for that? Yeah, yeah, just. Oh, yeah. He's married to Sierra. 
um, still going. Yeah, I was loud. Okay, go ahead. What did you, you say, bro? Uh, but but with that being said, Russ is playing like trash right now, bro. He is playing like trash. I don't know. There's there's nothing else. He's playing. He's trash. Russ is trash, bro. He's not the same quarterback anymore. And, and honestly, Ethan, after last week's performance, I don't know if we'll ever see that same quarterback before. Um, I may be over-exaggerating, and, and maybe I am, but I can't think of another, another quarterback who hit a peak like Russ that had like such a fast decline out yeah. of nowhere. Literally, most of the time, if we see, like, you know, digression, if we see a quarterback, you know, slowly declining through the years, even even Eli, and you look at Ben, it took some time, you know? It took time. And then when it got to that time, we were like, okay, that, that's, that's good enough. Russell Wilson, and just, like, just spell. And it's like, who is this person? Even I sat down. And I watch the first time, even though they, because you know they've recently taken the Broncos off of most televised games. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so for the for, for the first time this year, I sat down and I watched the Broncos play on last week, on this past weekend, rather. Bro, he, he's not reading through his progressions. He's forcing the ball. He, he's not accurate on short to mid-level passes. The deep balls are behind. He doesn't look like the same Russ. He doesn't have that same burst. And every once in a while when he does move, the decision-making is definitely not there. Ethan, there was a play, and, I, and of course you saw they got destroyed. Um, there was a play early in the game where it was still they still had hope. They were driving the ball. Russ had just had a big run. I think it probably was like 15, 20 yards. He ran the ball. And the announcer just got happy. It's like, let Russ cook. Let him cook, you know. And everybody's hyped up. And he's looking good, right? It's second and four, Ethan. Second and four. four. They're probably on 38. He rolls out to the right side. He has Jerry Judy, who's already having a phenomenal game sitting right there, two yards in front of the first down line. So you're going to get a first down just off the pass. And he has some green in front of him. He probably gets tackled, go down to 15-13, but you still have a chance to put an end zone or come away with, with points. Russ, the old Russ, probably would have took that pass. Russ didn't even see him, and he threw it deep to Jalen Ramsey pretty much because that's who was holding his tight end. And Jalen Ramsey just snagged it out the air. He was dubbed, the tight end was double double cover, but not only that, he's been held by one of the best cornerbacks we've ever seen play. And yeah. Russ just threw a prayer up. And at that moment, I was just like, he's not seeing the field. He, he's, he's not the same Russ, bro. He's just not. I don't know what happened. Um, I just don't. It just looks like he's just lost all his confidence, bro. It's like yeah. he doesn't believe in his own ability anymore. And I know they fired Hackett. I know they got rid of the head coach, but I don't know if that's going to fix things either. And I know there's a lot of people saying, you know, give him another year, maybe next year. Maybe. I don't. I don't think we need another year. 
think that's it. So, I think it's it. So I I pre- I appreciate um, your monologue there, bro, with this because I guess it had to be it had to be said. You know, living in the Pacific Northwest, bro, there are a lot of like cynical Seahawks fans, right, who have always, <laughs> you know, just been you know, hey, it's all about Russ, man, it's all about the Seahawks. But I think this is a good opportunity for people to like really acknowledge. I think I think on one end, how good of a coach Pete Carroll is, oh, definitely. Um, because out outside of the you know. And you, as a Patriot fan, you were happy it happened. <laughs> but it's aside from yeah. the, play, the play call in the Super Bowl that cost, that shout cost out to Malcolm Butler. Yeah, shout out to Malcolm Butler. It cost the Seahawks their second Super Bowl, especially for us. Honestly, I think on the one interior, I don't think, I don't think psychologically, I'm sure he's moved past that Russ, but that probably weighed on him for a very long time. Yeah, but I don't think but, that's what's weighing on him now. No, no, I don't but what he is. But something's definitely has affected. But that's the thing. That but that's the, that's the thing though. Like he, cause you know, you said like the decline, right? Because this mm-hmm. was what this is twenty fifteen. That Super Bowl, right? So that was, yeah. so seven years ago, and you could probably say that the decline properly of Russ was like what twenty eighteen nineteen. I would say twenty nineteen, and he had a um, twenty nineteen. He had a big injury. He came back in twenty twenty with his last year. Last year with the Seahawks. And he, they had a rough start, and they never kind of got back to it. I think they finished like five and twelve or four. So and from seven and so from from that perspective, that physical mm-hmm. decline started in twenty nineteen. Mm-hmm. But so when you go back to like maybe the, the the few years following, you know, the Super Bowl loss, I mean, that's probably when you saw the broader demise of the Seahawks as we knew them to be, right? Yeah, of course, All, like the Legion of Boom, like the whole well, yes. Like, you know. So and, and and all that happens and and because like my my thing is is that and, and I'm bringing this back to Pete Carroll because Pete Carroll is a he's a players coach he's a great locker room guy he he defines and cements team culture wherever he goes we saw what he did at USC and it seamlessly translated into the NFL people love him he mm-hmm. he had a lot to do with Russ's success and I don't I'm not sure what happened as a result in the last year. Which is like the final straw for like Russ to like say, "Hey, I'm just gonna move on and get it somewhere else." But yeah, bro, like the Russ decline has has been has has it's been started for like the last three years. Yeah, and people people are just not being able to see it because at the very least, Pete Carroll was somebody that could help Russ cover a multitude of sins with with everything that he was his inefficiencies as a as a quarterback. But now when you look at the Broncos, Terry, I'm curious to know who you think are some like front runners for this. And I think Eric Bieniemy. Oh, will be wonderful. But I'm gonna be honest with you. The only way I would want Eric to get that job if it's not contingent on Russ's success. Like mm-hmm. that, that I would love Eric to get the job in Denver. I feel like Denver's definitely a progressive place. You already have Dion there now. Uh, I, I I feel like, well, not in Denver, you have Dion in Colorado, um, in, in the state, essentially. But I feel like that will be another big move for the state of Colorado as far as sports, and even, of course, you know, monetarily. Um, and, and I like who Eric Bieniemy is. I feel like he definitely, he should have been had a shot. He should have the, the job that Josh McDaniels have. He definitely should have the job that Matt Patricia has in New England um, as office coordinator. He 
but he deserves a head coach job. Yeah, um, definitely. He, he's honestly past three years. He, he's deserved one. Um, so I would love to see him get a job, but I don't want him to go in a situation where, let's say, in two years you don't win with Russ, or in two years you're still under 500 or not, you know, competitive as far as making the playoffs, and they get rid of you and they get rid of Russ at the same time. I don't want that. Um, if he does get the job, I want it to be where okay, I'm gonna do what I'm gonna do and do my best, but I don't want my job to be continue contingent on this man's success because it's already been proven, at least in my opinion, that he's not the same Russell Wilson. He's definitely not a top five, not top ten, and then can be argued not even the top fifteen quarterback in this league. And if you're gonna compete in this league and NFL nowadays, you need one of those top guys. You do. Or, or, or Brock Purdy, one or the other. Brock, Brock Purdy is, I'm telling you, Terry, <laughs> like, like every year, bro, like like the 49ers always find a way to finesse their way into the NFC Championship game. If he does that, bro, it's going to be not not only is Jimmy G on the, on a one-way ticket to uh to the Meadowlands to, to go play for the, uh, for the Jets, but... Trey Lance, Trey Lance is going to Trey Lance go too, bud. Yeah. Trey Lance is out. If Pur- if Pur- it's Brock Purdy time, bro. bro. It's Purdy Bill today, bro. bro. Purdy, Purdy can mess around, take these boys to the Super Bowl. Oh, and win it, bro. Oh my goodness, man. Brock Purdy, shout out to Iowa State, shout out to Big Twelve football. Um, before before we um, dude, you brought you brought up Dion. That, that reminded me, man. We had we had one more topic to get into. So Dion's broader impact and his influence right it's it's captivating in a lot of ways and and i was was talking i was talking to my my homie brian about this yesterday because he and i hadn't talked about um the the deon sanders situation but it's like when you look at deon for everything that he brings you know he's a culture guy he's a team culture guy still very new in coaching in terms of experience you know having gone from high school to college in a short amount of time and now he's already in the power five, but his influence is, I think now we're starting to see, cause what didn't Zoe put in the chat about, uh, Ed Reed mm-hmm. becoming the head football coach at Bethune Cookman. So now I think everybody is like probably about to start seeing that domino effect. Like, like this is what he was brought into, into the situation at Jackson state essentially for, yeah. right. You're some people are looking at it directly at the university itself. Sure. But also the broader landscape of college football uh, uh, amongst HBCUs. Terry, what do you, what do you, how do you feel like Dion's influence will continue to impact uh, HBCU football? I really wish that Zoe was on his call. We're supposed to get him in, but I just want someone to kind of, you know, confirm. Two weeks ago, when when the topic was still hot. As far as Dion leaving Jackson State, and you you had the delegation of blacks. You know we have our own delegation. You have, you have certain blacks feel one way, and then you have the, the other blacks feeling this way. Certain blacks feel like Dion. You know he left, he took the money, and he ran, and you know he didn't do what he said he was gonna do. He didn't do enough. He should have stayed forever with HBCU. He should have made Jackson State into a power 10 school and make them compete with the big guys. If you still feel that way, please go watch Deion Sanders interview again with Shannon Sharp. He had a great point and I'll just put the point out there. And, and, and literally, I don't know why people didn't think about this, but maybe, you know, we just did. 
we, we put a lot of pressure on, on one person without looking at the landscape of things. Ethan, it's almost impossible for any HBCU to ever make it into a power five or power 10 school and definitely compete on their schedule consistently for top rankings in the NCAA. You know why, Ethan? Why is that? Because in order for an HBCU school to go compete against other Power 5 teams and top 10 teams consistently to compete for an NCAA championship, Mm -hmm. the football team isn't the only team that needs to be adequate and good, Ethan. All the other sports in NCAA, the Mm -hmm. men's basketball team, the women's basketball team, the baseball team, the soccer team, the volleyball team, all of those other sports have to be eligible and meet certain criteria in order for the football team to go. It's not just the football team that's going to transition, let's say, hypothetically, until the Sun Belt. It will be the, the entire athletics. Every athletic program will have to transition and compete on that level Dion wasn't a baseball coach, a baseball, a basketball coach, a volleyball coach. Dion can have that impact. That impact will have to happen at an athletic administration level. Mm-hmm. Who could, and that's where it should happen, honestly, who can build each individual program to compete at that level. That's how that can happen. When you have great basketball team, great baseball team, women's basketball team, football team, then HBCUs like Jackson State or like Mississippi State Valley or even UAPP, then you can have the conversation of we have a potential to go compete with these schools. But until then, again, that is a very, very tall tale. But what he did do, which me and Zoe talked about or I mentioned in Zoe, he was a trailblazer, and I predicted it would happen. I told so. What's going to happen now? You're going to have ex football players like Dion go to HBCUs, become head coaches, build programs, do what Dion did, and then go and coach college. And that's going to be their pipeline. Because right now, what pipeline is there for black coaches in college football or even the NFL? What pipeline is there? Well, I'm, I'm sorry, just, just just as like a point of clarity. So you said these former players, these former uh, players are going to go to HBCUs. HBCU schools. They'll be the, more inclined the, to go to HBCU schools to coach. To coach and like to build up that program. And then were you saying that then at, once the program is built up, they will go into – the FBS, right? Was that exactly? Okay, exactly. yeah. I just, just want to clarify. Okay, exactly. Create a pipeline. It, it's it's a trouble. At first, there were what pipeline were there for black head coaches in football? Period. Not just the NFL, also college football. Yeah. Now you have a, now you have more black NFL players who at first they you know doing what they can bending over backwards to try to get into these top power schools, even schools that they graduated from, like Dion, who wanted to initially go to Florida State. Yeah. And that school turned him down like they do pretty much all the ex-NFL athletes yeah. that play at their school. Yeah. But now those same ex-NFL athletes will be inclined because they know they're going to be accepted by their HBCU schools 
by their people, they'll be able to go in, build the program again, get that same exposure, the same type of recruits, the same pipeline into HBCU football. Do what they do at that program and be able to elevate into college football and be in the FBS. And then from there, potentially elevate and coach at the professional level, which, believe it or not, Ethan and other people out there who are listening, that's probably every head coach dream is to coach in the NFL. If you coach football, you want to coach at the highest level. Ask Nick Saban. He's he been twice. just didn't work out. Um, and so that's the ultimate goal. But yeah. now what Dion has done, he, he's paved a way for black coaches to meet their ultimate goal. He's created a pipeline into FBS for black coaches. Ed, Ed Reed's not going to be the last one. I would not be surprised, Ethan, by next summer, we probably see three or four ex-black NFL players, <coughs> excuse me, coaching an HBCU school. He started something. And we have to recognize him for that. And I hate that some people tried to destroy him for what he did because we couldn't see what he was doing because what he did was awesome. What he's done is awesome. He's not only brought light to HBCU schools, but he's created another pipeline for black coaches. Look at the staff that he's going to be taking to Colorado. He's taking black coaches, assistant coaches, offensive coordinators, defensive coordinators, cornerback coaches, position coaches, who, if Colorado have success, will get jobs at other college football teams. Mm-hmm. A chance to be a head coach, an office, and, and maybe get a chance in the NFL. He's creating another pipeline for black coaches. Yeah. And, and even though division is, isn't what we wanted it to be. He did something special. So I absolutely agree. I really do. And I do feel that in the last two years, I mean, it's no secret that HBCUs have become kind of like the focal point of so much commercial activity. Um, there are a lot of corporations, mine included, um, not my personal, <laughs> but where I work, where I'm employed, um, where they're trying to do these extensive partnerships with uh, HBCUs, right? And so you talk about like getting that heightened sense of visibility from like a university standpoint, but no one was talking about sports all the way. I mean, sure, like the NBA, I think they have like their uh, some some type of like HBCU classic um, mm-hmm. uh, that they that they piloted. I think last year or the year before last. Yeah, and uh, they do an awareness week as well. Yeah, the NBA does. And I know, yeah. I know Chris Paul has been doing. I think leading a lot of that work, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um, yes, him and Stephen A. Smith, they both have. Yeah, but I just want to bring this up because I, I haven't really seen a lot of conversation, deep conversation around uh, around this, but you're familiar with Doug Williams, right? Yeah. Doug Williams, he actually, this is a good example of this type of stuff happening, but well under the radar because like he doesn't have as big of a personality as Deion Sanders, and on top of that, this was obviously kind of prior to social media today, and, and Dion. I feel know, like that's the biggest difference, but yeah. Right, right. <laughs> but I want to point this out. So, because I grew up watching a lot of black college football, like when they used to show on BET, and uh, I mean, you, Terry, I know you went to UAPB Stone Cummins and probably went to a handful of their games as well. Yeah. But Terry, Doug Williams, he went back to his alma mater to succeed um, – 
Eddie Robinson, who had retired as like the winningest coach in college football history uh, in 1998. And while he was at Grambling, they won three consecutive SWAC championships, SWAC conference championships, and the Black College National title in 01. So I, that's like a similar journey to kind of what Dion was on, like pulling up there. Mm-hmm. And his time there, I think they said he was 60, 64 and 42. So he finished with a, with a, with a winning record. Um, or actually, no, th- th- this was uh, 61-34. Yeah, so he finished with like a winning record. And, and he was able to do that. Like before like the cameras, before like, like the attention, the spotlight, and like everything else. And I really feel like when, when a lot of these players like transitioning from Obviously, you know, some of them enjoying retirement, some of them probably coaching the high school like Dion was, and now they're going to coach at these universities now. They should really they should really be like chopping it up with him and like getting that game because at the end of the day, bro, you are creating a program and leading a program. Like with that comes like team culture. It's obviously the X's and O's. And of course, bro, like you're and Dion even kind of alluded to this. You know, HBCUs, bro, like their primary premise wasn't like getting players just ready for the NFL. It was like, nah, man, we're trying to like create great men and better them. So I, I definitely, I just wanted to just acknowledge that, man, because I remember seeing Doug Williams on the sideline and he contributed so much to college, black college football. He played at yes, Grambling State. Again, like I said, first black uh, quarterback to win. Speaking of quarterbacks, most of his episodes have been about quarterbacks. He's the first black quarterback to win the Super Bowl uh, over at Washington. So, but yeah, I just wanted to big him up, man. But Terry, before we get out of here, man, bro, you got anything? You got any other final thoughts, bro? Anything, anything coming up during the week of sports, man? That you want to get into? Um, not much, bro. The playoffs, it's 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 really already here. It's down to the nitty gritty, bro. As the old saying goes, it's grind time, bro. And you know, you have several teams on the outside looking in. Certain teams control their own destiny, but. It's the playoffs now. We're going to go home now. So I hope my team finish strong, man. And if you're listening, Bill, Matt, give me a call, bro, at, at noon. Well, really, give me a call, like, now so I can start prepping for the game. I got y'all play calling. So I got it because y'all need help. Yeah. Um, but that's it, E. That's it. I just I don't want, I want us to win. That's it. Well, hopefully one day the headset for the podcast is the only headset you're actually putting on, man. So maybe one day you can, <laughs> one day you can be on the sidelines. But – I don't want to be on the sideline. Listen, I I just want us to win, Ethan. I don't want to be. I just want us to win. That's it. I just I just that's it. If we lose to the Dolphins without Tua, I don't even know what I'm gonna do. It's not like I'm gonna just get rid of my my fandom, but I don't know what I'm gonna do, Ethan. I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm I'm probably gonna write a letter to Robert Kraft on why. We should get rid of Mac Jones. That's what I'm gonna do. Well, at least you have a team that you're like proud to openly support. So I'm very proud of you, Terry, for for being so courageous. Cause yeah, private Cowboys fan. It's it's not even fun, really. Like <laughs> it's not even fun. <laughs> so on that note, as I try to figure out who I'm supporting next year, or at least in the playoffs, <laughs> Terry. Terry, bro, it was good to hear from you. Appreciate y'all tuning in here at the Ethan and Terry Show, podcast dedicated to covering and tackling the latest in sports and entertainment. Terry, bro, I'm going to holler at you, man. All right, bro. All right, bro.